New Mexico Canacast. Everything New Mexico, everything Kansas. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the New Mexico Canacast. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Lozano, and this is, well, I'm Josh. Yeah, whatever which side we're on. I'm Josh McCurdy, guys, a host of your Canacast, and we got a show for you today. I can't even tell you. I, I, I've been excited for three days and barely slept. Yeah. Oh, man. And, and th- this show is actually near and dear to our heart. You know, um, New Mexico cannabis history is something that's actually not talked about a lot in the state, actually, because we've done a lot of things that are uh, like a national first. And so a lot of really good things. And so we're going to mention that as we go on. But this is something that, you know, we are really excited about. However, we're even more excited because we have a special guest with us today, Valerie Hubbard, one of the OGs of the cannabis industry. Valerie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm Valerie Hubbard. Um, I think a lot of you know me. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I'm so happy to be on this show and I'm so happy to be sharing uh, what I know of the history of uh, the cannabis bills in New Mexico. Appreciate it. And you know what? She's being modest. Um, You know, Valerie is actually, you know, pretty much one of the mothers of the the cannabis, one of the cannabis programs that we had, the second one, um, and the bill and everything. And she's been fighting for a very long time, even out of the halfway house. Um, So, you know, I'll let her explain that more as we go on in the history, because she'll get into it a little bit more. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in because we got a lot to talk about today. There's actually a lot. Can I say something real quick? Just real quick. Go ahead, Josh. Yes. I just like everybody to know Valerie is a living legend. And if you don't know her in the cannabis community, you're missing out. That's all I got to say. And, and, th- and, th- and this episode is going to be amazing. So definitely. Cool. All right, guys. So we're going to jump in. Um, we're going to start the timeline actually in, in 1915 in El Paso, Texas. Um, this is where kind of everything kind of starts to take shape and kind of, you know, gets a little more momentum. So 1915, an incident happened. Some crazed guy from Juarez, Mexico, you know, originally um, was in the city of El Paso between the borders of the city. They used to kind of just be one thing. Um, so he was in the area and he ended up attacking a couple of people. He attacked a cop, killed a couple of people. I think he attacked a horse. Um, and I think he just had a, some kind of crazy episode going on. However, they try to blame it on marijuana because they said he was smoking the, the marijuana and they call it Mexican opium, come to find out. And I thought it was opium that they said he was smoking. But when I reread it, they were calling it Mexican opium. And so they were trying to say that the marijuana is uh, more deadly and it's, you know, crazy and toxic. And that's the reason why he went crazy. And who knows the reason why this guy just, you know, went on a rampage, you know, he, he went on a killing spree out in the streets, you know, what is El Paso. So that really gave, you know, cannabis a really bad name. And this is actually where the word has really coined marijuana in a bad sense, especially when it, you know, you're talking about, you know, Latinos, Hispanics and, you know, black people and other people of color, even Filipinos were involved with that too, as well. Um, so this is actually where everything kind of takes place and starts happening. El Paso was actually the first city in the nation to make cannabis illegal, you know, the first city. So they did it. And of course, we're probably going to follow next, right? Yes. In 1923, New Mexico made it illegal for us to sell, possess, use anything with cannabis. So 1923, that's when everything kind of went down because, you know, there's a lot of lies going on and you guys can study up the history if you don't know, um, you know, this is all about New Mexico. So we're going to try to keep it on track with that. So anyway, so nothing really goes on from 1920, you know, 23 on to 1978. You know, there's a few things, of course, talks, but nothing really, you know, no- noticeable or, you know, noteworthy um, until that time. So 1978, um, we have 
a really good um, bill that comes through and it's a medical cannabis bill. And also there's a couple of reasons why this bill passed because we got medical cannabis in 1978. Heard that right. New Mexico was the first state in the nation to have a medical cannabis program all the way back in 1978. So sorry, California, we were first. Um, in New Mexico, we kind of get overlooked by things a lot. And this is one of them. Um, you know, because we were the first and California likes to take, you know, all of the credit for it, but it was actually us. Um, however, California did come in and they, you know, did it better than we did, you know, initially it only lasted to like 1984. And so because of that, um, there was very limited amount of patients. I think Valerie said it was 250 patients, but you can elaborate a little bit more um, on the bill and why it came along and who really pioneered it. Well, folks, I want to tell you about Lynn Pearson. In 1978, Lynn Pearson was a 26-year-old cancer patient who advocated for the passage of our first medical marijuana law. The bill was known as the Controlled Substances Therapeutic Act. Pearson died a few months after the bill was passed. He was really never able to partake in the, ca the cannabis medicine that he fought so long for. But uh, 250 patients in New Mexico received cannabis through the program, which was run by the University of New Mexico until 1986 when funding was stopped. So 1986, it finally just pretty much dissolved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just ceased from existing. Then actually only a few years after that, California comes in and um, they come in with their newer program, which who knows, they could have used us as, as a model of some sort or even as a motivation to do that again. So um, props to California in that sense, but you know, number one's over here in New Mexico. <laughs> um, so shout out to Lynn Pearson also. also um, he was actually one of the people who's named after the current medical cannabis program that you know, New Mexico has today. And we'll actually talk about that more later on. So Nothing really goes on after 1978, you know, still the whole drug war thing, blah, blah, blah. We actually have Gary Johnson as a governor later on in the 90s. And actually in 1999, Gary Johnson endorses cannabis. And as being a governor, a, a governor and also a Republican governor, especially at that time, that was something that was just political suicide. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you know, this guy is crazy, whatever. And, you know, some of his antics a little were actually actually got to interview him once. And, you know, he's He's a very interesting guy. Josh got to meet him as well. And, you know, it, he was a really cool guy. And, you know, I could see why he really endorsed it. But, you know, um, Valley knows a little bit more about that. And also in 1999, Valley, if you want to explain to the people, you know, really what was going on around that time, um, go ahead, especially with DPA, yourself, you know, go ahead. Well, because of Gary Johnson and his outspoken, uh, uh, he gained a lot of uh, national attention because his uh, whole premise was legalizing all drugs, not just cannabis. He just wanted to see legalization of all drugs, ending the drug war, which is uh, a, a, a policy that we all wanted to see happen at that time. So in 1999, the Drug Policy Alliance put a desk down in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, the uh, preparations began to, to bring a new bill to the legislature, and that was going to be called the Lynn Pearson Compassionate Use Act. What I didn't go into, I think, that, that is kind of interesting here is that I had been in prison for uh, a, a growing cannabis. And um, when I uh, got out of prison, I was in halfway house in Albuquerque, 
And the new, very new director in the year 2000 uh, contacted me and we started to go to one, once a week, we would go out and have a little chat up on New Mexico and how it's, what's going on here and who's who and that kind of stuff. And it was just a really phenomenal experience for me to get out of Halfway House and have somebody incredibly brilliant to talk with. So uh, it just turned out that when my six month mandatory Halfway House was over, uh, I moved to Santa Fe at the very same time that the Drug Policy Alliance moved to Santa Fe. So it just, uh, Catherine and I continued our friendship and uh, I kind of became uh, an official staffer, an unofficial staffer. I've had so many roles with Drug Policy Alliance, but it began in 2000 and in 2001, uh, we ran uh, our preparations began to bring a, a bill to the legislature, the Lynn Pearson Compassionate Use Act in 2001 and in 2002. The bill ran and each time with more success. The atmosphere at the Roundhouse was a little tense as conservative legislators felt like they were being taken over by a band of hippies. And it kind of felt that way away <laughs> to us that we're trying to like learn our roles as citizen advocates and being amongst the legislative folks. The, uh, so uh, that, um, but it gave us an opening and we began education process with the lawmakers. And that was in 2002, uh, we were able to pass uh, restoration of felon, felon road voting rights back. So we got that through ran it in 2001, passed it in 2002, and that was our first success bill that we had with Drug Policy Alliance. And I mean, even, you know, just after a year, you know, you made a really big change in the state, you know, like, two, you know, about, yeah, about a year, you made a huge change, <laughs> yeah. just in the state, the nation. Now, most states actually, you know, adopted this and it used it you know, as just the law of the land now. And almost every state, I think, has that law. Yes. And we're probably going to go down and see a couple of more things like this that New Mexico did as a first. You know, so far we have the medical cannabis program. And we also have, you know, uh, what Valerie just said right now with, you know, with the, the people who have a felony and everything. So, um, yeah. So in 2001, 2002 is really when we first got our, you know, first cannabis bills in the legislature. This is for medical, not rec yet. Um, but, you know, going down to 2003, we actually elected Bill Richardson as our governor. And now Bill Richardson actually wasn't the friendliest governor to cannabis at first, as people know him today. And Valerie knows, you know, more than I do, you know, how Bill Richardson was towards cannabis. So please, you know, go ahead and explain. Well, I can tell you that uh, the newly elected governor was such a change after having Gary Johnson and um, it was such a change and he really wanted nothing to do with uh, Governor Gary Johnson's uh, past or his bills. So uh, what he did is he invited, uh, he wanted to distance himself to the ish, ish, uh, from the issue entirely. And he invited the drug czar, John Walters, to come out and address the legislature, leaving the feeling that passing the cannabis bill would bring tanks into the streets and all federal funding to New Mexico would be stopped. That's how badly he wanted to distance himself from our bill. So we lost miserably in 2003. We ran the uh, Lynn Pearson Compassionate Use Act and it lo we lost miserably. Uh, so that was 2003. Uh, we 
in 2004, we had to sort of regroup. By this time, we had had two directors, uh, Catherine Huffman being our first director and Antoinette Tez Humble being uh, the second director. And with Antoinette, I was able to pass the uh, restoration of felon voting rights uh, with her. In 2003, she was a part of the bill whenever we lost miserably. And then uh, uh, DPA had to find a new director. We didn't run any bill bills in 2004. It was a short session. It was a time to regroup. There was a new state director at DPA and we needed to assess our bill, our strategy, our friends, our foes, and look for courageous patients to come forward and give their stories. That was our next move for strategy going into the 2005 election. And in 2005, we were ready. We had a strong bill, a new sponsor, new patient champions, and new energy. And one thing I really want to mention before we move on is all of this done, all of this work since 1999, 2000 was nothing but women, guys. You know, this is something that, you know, I really wanted to highlight is this was all done with nothing but women. And that's something that's not talked about anytime, anywhere. Even I, I found this out just, you know, doing this show, Josh and I are both like, wait, 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 wait. You mean there was nothing but women doing this? That's amazing. Why isn't this talked about? You know, and this, this is something that should be motivational to all the young girls out there that you can do this and you can make a change. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So, please, Valerie, go ahead. No, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I just wanted to say our new director in 2005 came on board in 2004 was Rena Sapansky. And Rena was an amazing director, as each of the directors had been, but we were moving into new territory, new fields. And in 2005, uh, we um, were ready. I knew when I listened to the bill being heard in its first committee of 2005 that there was a different feeling about us, DPA and the bill. The committee members seemed to have a new awareness of compassion too. We passed the committee with a unanimous vote and I walked out and felt a breath of fresh air lifting my spirit. We had two remarkable, we had actually three remarkable patient champions with us at, at beginning in 2005, Essie DeBonet, Fred McDonald, uh, and Aaron Armstrong. Fred was a former Navy SEAL and a paraplegic from an accident. Essie was a nurse who had suffered from HIV, and Aaron was a young woman diagnosed with a rare thyroid cancer at age 17. Together, we covered the roundhouse. All three told their stories over and over and over to each and every legislature, working to win over hearts and minds to educate on compassionate use and what it meant not to be criminalized for using medicine. It was compelling. In 2005, the bill passed the Senate and passed the assigned House committees and was ready to be heard on the House floor with nine days left in the session. Oh, Arg, the next few days were just awful. And then just a few minutes before the 2005 legislative session ended, Speaker Lujan put our bill up on the House board as though it was going to go up for a vote. It was a cruel joke. We ended 2005 with a House vote, without a House vote, and the bill was dead for another year. 
A deep depression and grief came over us as patients, advocates. We had so many questions. What went wrong? What could we have done better? Who were our allies? And who did we need to work with? 2006 came along and uh, we, it was a 30 day budget session only. In the short session years, the only way to get the cannabis bill uh, or any social justice bill, but a cannabis bill was to have uh, governor have it on the governor's call. Uh, governor Richardson announced a meet the constituents day and we would be allowed five minutes to plead our case for medical cannabis and why it should be on the call. Four of us went to the roundhouse and there were no patients with us, but unknown to us was a wonderful middle-aged woman who had also come to the roundhouse to plead her own case for medical cannabis. And she was ushered in with us. Governor Richardson knew her and asked, what in the world are you doing here with this crew for marijuana? She told the governor that both she and her husband suffered from glaucoma and that cannabis helped them. A couple of days later, Governor Richardson announced that he was putting the cannabis bill on his call. Well, it was on a 30 day session and it was wild. Our patient stories had truly touched some of the legislatures and now we had many people and their families who were being stricken with cancer and other serious ailments. So as legislators began to have their own family members be stricken with uh, uh, cancer and uh, many other ailments, which are a part of our medical cannabis program, uh, their hearts and their minds began to soften because they wanted to have some sort of, be able to provide some sort of medicine for their own loved ones, just as we were educating them about this is what we do. Um, so, well, it was on. <laughs> uh, let me say, oh yes, in 2006, we changed the name of the bill with a memorial that came out of the Senate and the na name change went to the Lynn and Aaron Compassionate Use Act, which uh, was, at that point was adding Lynn uh, Pearson and Aaron Armstrong uh, to the bill as Aaron was moving through the both houses and all committees telling her story along with us. So um, it was an act of honor to our, it was an act of honor in honor of our dear friend and tireless advocate, Aaron Armstrong. When the bill got to Senate Judiciary and the Office of National Drug Control Policy, the head federal cops sent Dr. John Murray, the former deputy drug czar, flanked with uniformed police officers, district attorneys, the sheriff's lobby, and so forth. The media was there and the committee room was packed. Our three brave patients gave testimony and other advocates spoke up for the bill. Then Dr. Murray spoke. He asked that the good senator which at that time was, uh, uh, it was uh, Senator Michael Sanchez. And he asked the good Senator who, he, he, he was head of judiciary, um, not to be fooled by what amounted to a dog and pony show put on by snake oil salesmen, our saleswomen, which was us. <laughs> Senator Michael Sanchez told the law enforcers that 
Year after year, the committee listens respectfully as law enforcement brings in crime victims to testify. And right now you are insulting the integrity of our citizens of New Mexico. So basically, uh, it, it, it really was a bipartisan effect that basically told Dr. Murray to get on his horse or on his tractor and ride out of the state. <laughs> <laughs> because we were moving on in spite yeah. of all of that fear that they were trying to instill with us. Uh, uh, Senator Michael Sanchez got up and marched around the packed courtroom with his fist in the air chanting states' rights states rights, states rights. So <laughs> a small group of us met with, uh, with the Speaker of the House and Chambers to see what we could do to compel him and educate him, but our efforts did no good. Speaker Lujan assigned us to the Agricultural Committee knowing that would kill the bill. A small group of us, uh, oh, the Agricultural Committee room is small. It's very small and it was packed. Uh, the ONDCP was backed, uh, back. The uh, deputy drug czar was back again. Uh, media and our very courageous patients. Some of the most moving conversation came from one of the representatives there at the time. After they had voted down the bill, he cried as he told his committee members he was ashamed of them. Effectively, the bill was dead. But on the night before the session closed at 8.30 p.m., we managed to get our bill pulled out of the Agriculture Committee and onto the House Judiciary, onto the House Judiciary Committee, which was heard at 3 a.m. in the morning. We were back and ready for a full House floor vote on the last day. Well, the morning got filibustered until the noon bell and we were not allowed a full floor vote. So that was the end of the 2006 session. So we decided in sort of preparing for 2007, pardon me, I have to just have a little bit of coffee here. Yeah, of course. I mean, 2007, you know, is actually a historical year because that's actually the year that we, you know, were able to get a medical cannabis bill finally passed. And, you know, I'm sure you could elaborate more on that. Well, uh, in 2000, the summer of uh, 2006, um, my director, Rena Sapansky, and myself and uh, uh, our new head assistant in the office, we decided to go around the state and do listening posts. And um, let's see, what did I say? In the summer and fall with our brave patients and a small group of advocates, we held medical marijuana forums in different parts of the state. We prepared for 2007, getting allies, patients, press for everyone in every way to educate folks. And then it was that time again. <laughs> I think we were the third bill to pass the Senate floor in 2007. The Linear and Compassionate Use Act was on its way. The turnouts for the committee's Hearings were huge, but we were sentenced once again by Speaker Lohan by referring us to the Agriculture Committee. They had to hold a joint House Agriculture and House Judiciary Committee on the floor as the crowds and the people that wanted to testify were ever growing. We moved to the House floor. 
and we failed by one vote. Uh, a particular representative was out in the hallway and he came in and hit his bell buzzer for his vote one second after the vote was over. So uh, we, uh, we were, it just, it killed us. So Governor Richardson came to our aid. He was supportive in helping us get our bill attached to a mirror bill that was stuck on the Senate side. Now our bill had a different name. <laughs> All knew it was our bill, the Lyndon Aaron Compassionate Use Act. We had to go through it all again, all over, go back through the Senate committees, go back through the House committees to get to the House floor. And today, uh, Governor Richardson's support was key to passing the bill in 2007. Uh, never forget our brave and courageous patients, Essie and Fred and Aaron. Essie and Fred are both dead now. Never forget that we brought the bill back from death at least once each session. Never forget <laughs> our lobbyists and our legislators and our advocates who worked alongside with us to get this bill passed. So I, I am sure I've left out many people who were along the way that helped us get this through, but basically it was a very solid, small core of women leading the charge all through the seven years. <laughs> and, you know, and it kind of continued because, you know, once, you know, I got involved, it was still women. You know, like I met, that's when I met you, Jess, you know, and, you know, everybody else, it was all women. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we got medical cannabis passed 2007, you know, almost like a miracle, you know, because, you know, it seems that that's how things happen. It fails and then it gets picked up again for some reason. Um, and, and a lot of people don't know in New Mexico, we have 30 days, 60 day sessions. And on the odd years, they are 60 days. And on the even years, they are 30 days. So this year, since we're on an even year, it's going to be a 30 day session. So that's what we're kind of walking into right now. So just keeping in mind in that, you know, when we're going through these years, there's times where it's amazing that some of these pass because we're only working with 30 days. Um, so the fact that, you know, these three women just came in, you know, and, and this was a different time. You guys have to remember, this was a total different time. The way that the Linen Air and Compassionate Use Act was written was almost through paranoia because the fact that we were dealing with a lot of federal intervention back then, you know, the federal government was just coming down hard on us back then. And so the, the state was really afraid that we'd lose funding, people would get arrested, you know, patients would get arrested and they were getting harassed. And, you know, Val, you, you know more than I do, you know, how much, you know, they were getting harassed and, you know, how much threat it was. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, I wanted to say, this is a very important uh, point in the history of the cannabis bill. Uh, the med cannabis bill uh, was almost uh, uh, governor, uh, our now governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, was at that time secretary of state of the Department of Health, not secretary of state, secretary of the Department of Health. And uh, she had been welcoming the program with open arms and almost exactly one month to the day after the bill was signed, uh, she left to pursue other ventures and we were left on our own again. And Alfredo Vigil was appointed secretary and he was no help at all in us getting this nascent program be started at the Department of Health. 
And then we had a newly elected governor who ran on repealing the bill. So uh, it never got easier. We actually had, uh, from the time we passed the bill, almost from the moment we passed the bill, we had to struggle for at least another 10 years to sort of get to where the program should have been 10 years prior. I agree 100% because I remember when that change happened, it was like a sigh of relief, not just a sigh of relief, almost a cry of relief, you know, because, you know, how strict it was and how crazy it was, you know, even when I joined, it was still a little strenuous, you know, even with the, the VA, you know, uh, you know, dealing with that, you know, it was still kind of like, you know, you could lose your benefits, this and that, and, you know, so, you know, it's still kind of, uh, kind of a risk. So, you know, 2007, we have that 2008 comes you know, uh, not too much. We, I think, was it 2009 we got the first um, producer? Or was it 2008? We actually had the first producer, only one, in 2008. And uh, that license, uh, they only stayed open for just a little over a year. And by the uh, fall of 2009, we had uh, the first seven. Uh, and we couldn't really say eight because we had already, uh, the first one had already uh, stop growing so yeah. we had our first seven mm -hmm. yeah so i did want to say though too uh in uh 2007 uh while we were going through what i just described to you what was 2007 was like we also ran a bill called the uh, uh, uh good samaritan act and we it it took us two years running that bill and we passed it which is a harm reduction bill which meant that in the face of an overdose that folks could call the police in. Uh, they didn't have to drop somebody off out in front of a hospital. They didn't have to just walk out on them because of fear. They could call them in and the police could not arrest anybody there and in the face of an overdose. They had to just attend to the overdose victim. So that was a major first in the country and it's now been replicated in almost every state, the Good Samaritan Bill. And that's great. I mean, that's something that, you know, New Mexico doesn't get any recognition for either because that's, right. <laughs> that's amazing because that's one reason why people don't want to go to the hospital when they're having an overdose or something is because of the fact that they're going to get arrested. So, you know, if it's just concrete in there that you're not, you know, people are going to more often look for help is, you know, because that's what they need. They need help. They don't need jail. Um, you know, they just need help and they want help. And if they're seeking it, you know, they can get it without the, you know, feeling like they're going to get arrested. So that's great. So um, moving on, you know, uh, we're, you know, we have a few more years to go through now. Um, we're here about 2010. So um, 2010, I think you said Rena retires um, from DPA and I think Emily got hired, but didn't come on until 2011. Yes, Rena uh, uh, retired in uh, 2010. And uh, after a long search for a new director, uh, Emily Kaltenbach was named as new director, uh, and um, she didn't come on until uh, almost mid-session of 2009, uh, yeah, 2011, uh, but uh, yeah, Emily Kaltenbach was our new director then, so this was now the fourth director that we had had at Drug Policy Alliance. And this is the current director, correct? Yes, this is the current director now. And Emily was, came in and um, it, it was quite, quite a crux for the office because uh, there was almost a feeling that they were gonna shut the office down, uh, our, our uh, executive director from New York. 
but uh, uh, Emily was uh, the right director at the right time and her mission and her decree and her directive was to get legalization on the board and get it passed. So uh, we began that in some form of 2011. We, and also in 2011, uh, we started a, uh, a small task force sort of to, uh, so we could stay kind of in tune with what was going on uh, all around us. So on this task force, we had two patients, two donors, two uh, LMPPs at the time, uh, two advocates, and uh, I think that was about it. It was kind of a pretty small task force, but it was very effective. And uh, so Emily just continued on uh, trying to like come up with some kind of legalization bill. So she was pretty much just, you know, following orders essentially. Yes. Mm -hmm. past, you know, allowed you and Jessica to really just deal with the, the medical program, you know. Exactly. And, yeah. So, I mean, uh, that that happens sometimes. I mean, being, being in the army, you know, that was, that was the case, <laughs> you know, you, you had orders to follow. So, I mean, I give her props for that, you know, just staying on task and, you know, being very on. And one thing I wanted to point out is, you know, Valley had mentioned New York and we'll find out that New York and New Mexico actually have something really good in common and you'll find out here soon. So 2011, we had the first task force. Was there a bill introduced in 2011? Uh, no, in 2011, we, uh, uh, it was really just a, sort of a meet and greet and, and get her feet into the, uh, the legislative pool, so to speak. At, and we did not really run any bills in 2011. Okay. And so then I guess we'll just jump down to 2012. So 2012 is just where it's on. And this is just kind of where momentum's gained. You guys are ready. Now you have three women full-time just working on this. You just pounded it out. Um, not just medical, but, you know, also recreational. And so, you know, this continues the whole, you know, the fight with the women that, you know, it just is amazing in my book. And, you know, and even when I came on and it, which is here soon, um, you know, I, I noticed it, but I didn't really think it was something that was, um, had been going on for a long time. You know, I didn't realize it, but, you know, had been going on for a lot longer. So 2012 goes, um, this is actually when Jess, Jessica comes online, right? Jessica Halai came on uh, as uh, a new uh, aid to uh, Emily mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Jessica and I kind of had the task of sort of keeping our ear to the ground on the medical cannabis program and on, on patients. And I spent a lot of time testifying at the Department of Health um, uh, hearings to try to keep the, uh, the program on track because it was so difficult under the years of uh, political adversity that we were under with the different administrations. So, yeah, yeah. recently before we had elected uh, Susanna Martinez and she was ran on the whole premise of wanting to get rid of cannabis. She was a private prosecutor when certain people asked her, you know, if she could legalize it, she tells them, you know, I'm a, I'm a prior prosecutor and, you know, that's not really what I think as a governor, but, you know, <clears throat> so we really were at a stalemate with her for almost for eight years straight. You know, the program just was at a stalemate. And, you know, 2012 was there, you know, um, and then actually I think some alliance comes along and then, um, you know, we have Susanna who's fighting against it at the same time, um, which doesn't help. And then 2013 kind of rolls around. Um, we still have a little more momentum. And this is actually the year that Josh and I get involved as advocates. Um, Josh and I actually got our cards like two, three days after each other. We actually didn't know each other at the time. 
um but you know we find out like dude we got our cards like right after each other because it says it on the card with what your date you got it and so um <clears throat> this is the year that we get involved i meet jessica she finds me um and then she invites me to you know the alliance stuff and then she you know it takes me up to santa fe and this is where i get in, get introduced as an advocate and i actually get trained and you know i meet valerie a few years after that and i'll let josh you know tell you guys you know how he got involved yeah, uh, I got involved uh, real quick. I'll give you my two cents of story how I got an advocate. I joined to be a medical cannabis program to be like a medical to get a level of medical cannabis I needed. Uh, I did not find that. Uh, and then I got a letter saying you are going to have to go 187 miles somewhere else to find your medicine. And I couldn't get it in my hometown. Well, my grandmother was a was a patient. So the way I looked at it is if they treat me this way, they would treat her her this way. That was 79 years old. And I was just I was like, this is crazy. This is for medicine. And so, yeah, started going to Albuquerque and meeting people in, in, in the, uh, an old uh, cannabis alliance and uh, met Val at the meeting. Uh, she, uh, you know, she gave me her gangster story. Valerie's a gangster, guys. I'm just going to be honest with you. Straight gangster. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyways, gave me the gangster story. Uh, we happen to be have some, uh, uh, you know, common ground in some places. And uh, yeah. And uh, so here we are now. Right. It's all good things. That's all I got. Absolutely. And um, so 2013, interesting year, a lot, a lot changes. And I just want to say the reason why Jess really found me and wanted me to help is because I was so vocal on veterans and cannabis and helping veterans with cannabis whatsoever. I lost my sister to prescription pills. She was a veteran too. And so that's one thing that, you know, I, she really, you know, saw that I was passionate about and, you know, still am to this day. So 2013 rolls along. Josh and I, we're, we joined the fight um, with a bunch of other advocates, you know, who have been here, you know, for a very long time as well, not just us. Um, and so 2014, pretty much the same thing. You know, we have some bills introduced. They fail. Um, of course, you know, history tells, you know, we didn't legalize it till last year. So um, those bills fell. And however, the next year is the year of, well, I mean, we get how many more producers, Josh? We get 12 more. We, we get 12 more producers. We had 23. Then in April is 35. All right. And this is where the fun term, the dirty 30, got created. So nobody get uh, get upset or offended. It's just that'll be how you know us old school people that have been here a couple of years is going to refer to the to, to the guys that have been here you know for the longest the, the dirty thirty. So just easy to put dirty thirty. <laughs> don't be taking it personally. Might want to yeah. read the four agreements book. That's all I'm saying. I mean, we're from the dirty south, so. <laughs> I would like to point out here, if I could, uh, when the first seven producers came on. Uh, they were only allowed 99 plants. Yes. Uh, that was still the, the, to stay under DEA radar. Uh, and uh, they paid $95,000 to grow 99 plants. Uh, I was just looking at some paperwork this morning from when we moved from to 200 to 450. <laughs> and, and it was like some years down the road before that happened, you know, uh, before, I think I think with the last group of producers that we brought on in 2015 is when it raised to 450. Yeah, yeah, it did actually. I remember that. And then finally, you know, just a couple of years before legalization, they went to the mature plant count. And I guess I'll tell you a quick story about that once we get there, um, and how I made a mistake as an advocate. Uh, so in 2015, yeah, we have the Dirty 30. They arrived. You know, we actually they helped out a lot, guys. You know, a lot of patients did get access because of these people came into the market. You know, and so we got to thank them for there. You know, so a lot of patients did get more access, especially in Southern New Mexico, because we had like nothing. Um, so 2016 comes around and, you know, we're gaining even more momentum. More patients are joining the program. I was like patient 8,000 something. So was Josh. 
Uh, Valerie was probably, you know, one of the earliest patients that was in the state. Um, I don't know if you remember your patient number. No, but it was still, I, I didn't get my li- uh, a card until 2011. And so oh. I was like in 2000, I was at patient number 2000 something at that okay. time. That makes sense. And so this is actually where this shirt comes from. So Jessica went on a trek all over the state to hear what people wanted when it comes to legalization and, you know, what, what's your ideas of cannabis and what have you been told and this and that. She came with a bunch of fact sheets, you know, uh, people were putting sticky notes on the board and, you know, I want to see this and this when it comes to legalization. And it was pretty much modeling the legalization bill later to come in, in the year future. And actually, I got this shirt from helping her. Um, she sent it to me as a thank you. And um, I just showed up and uh, it's one of the second time, second or third time I'd met Valerie. And so we just kind of started getting to work together, getting this food out, you know, kind of getting people set and everything. So it was really nice to see the, the support of the people in the community, especially here in Las Cruces, because that's where, where it was, you know, the, where I was at. When mm-hmm. I was helping. And so here in Las Cruces, it was great to see just that overwhelming support. So um, 2016, you know, of course, another bill is introduced, failed. Um, you know, Josh and I, we spent pretty much from 2013 to almost present day going to Santa Fe every year. COVID kind of changed that, but we'll get to that. So, um, you know, and, you know, that happened, you know, so, you know, all the bills failed and, you know, up until it didn't. So that's pretty much what you have to do. You have to keep going until it doesn't. So 2017, um, it looks like we had um, another bill is introduced. Nothing really happened that year either. It was kind of a stale year. Um, The bill failed. We did gain a lot more patients at this time. We're still gaining more and more patients. I think I remember we were at 70 to 60,000 patients at that time because this is where Michelle Luan Grisham is about to start running because I remember calling her and telling her that, you know, there's probably going to be about 80,000 patients by the time she's elected, et cetera, et cetera. So um, 2017, that's all going down. Um, and so then 2018 is where we actually have some huge momentum and we have a huge change. And I'm sure Valerie is sitting, you're moving in her seat wanting to talk about this. So go ahead, Valerie. <laughs> Uh, actually, I just uh, felt like it was coming full circle with uh, uh, Governor Grisham uh, as we had uh, uh, crossed tracks much earlier in the MedCan bill, and she had been so welcoming then, and I knew that her priority was to get legalization done in the state. And first off, she wanted to sort of shore up the medical program as best. So the 2018 was, uh, I believe, the bill to shore, up, to shore up the medical program. You guys might remember that a little better. Yeah, it failed though. I remember uh, there were some aspects in it. Josh and I remember I remember reading it, you know, freaking for days. Um, and yeah, there were some aspects I really didn't like about it, but you know, that, that's, it is what it is. But yeah, I remember it and it, did, it failed. Um, but yeah, this is actually the year that the SM-105 um, was voted in. And that's actually the task force that helped create all the recommendations for the bill, the, uh, I think it was SM406 or SB406 um, that changed the medical cannabis program for the better. Because until that point, we couldn't share cannabis together, we couldn't gift cannabis, you know, in the, in the manner of no monetary value being involved um, together. And you couldn't really, you know, like grow for someone else and you're not just someone, just, you know, give someone from, something from your grow. And you had to dispose some in anything more than eight ounces. And from then on, you could care, keep, as much as you harvest. And so that made more sense. And so 2018, that happens. And, you know, we finally have a governor who's cannabis friendly, very, very cannabis friendly, even to this day, you know, she's, you know, trying to help. So 2018, that goes, cannabis bill introduced, fails. Um, 2019 comes around. And this is actually where we really get to work on the SM 105. Josh and I were actually both 
on that together. And um, I actually worked on the consumption areas. That's how I actually know so much about consumption areas and why they're my baby. And one reason why I think it's kind of odd that, you know, some cities are taking the approach because consumption areas were essentially meant to be anywhere and everywhere. And they were meant for the military spouses because a lot of them are actually patients and they can't take their cannabis back on base or post. And, you know, they can't really do anything with it or consume it on base either. So if they live on base, they needed somewhere to consume it or save it. Also the people who are in public housing and the people on the tribes, that was the huge one because, you know, they're on federal land just as much as the, you know, the military people. And so um, they didn't have any access either. So this is actually why the consumption areas and lounges came about. And in today, they're in the bill and everything. And now we have consumption areas where it's just a, everybody can enjoy it, which is great because that's kind of along the lines of what we wanted anywhere and everywhere. So um, 2019, you know, we have the, the, the bill. Um, a lot of good stuff came from that. Josh, you know, he worked on a lot of stuff with it too. We spent a lot of time driving that year. Um, <laughs> and just trying to Every make year. sure that the, huh? Every year, you know, we drive three hours to spend an hour in a meeting and drive three hours back sometimes. Yeah, exactly. It was very, it was, you know, when you are th thinking about it now and then, you know, speaking about SM 105, uh, it brings me back because one of the tribes actually helped finance that the money in the SM 105 for us to be able to do that. And, you know, and they just got, you know, one of, one of the tribes just got raided not too long ago on, on federal land, so, you know, which is crazy. And I was just thinking about, you know, these people really helped, you know, push things forward too in that situation. So, anyway. yeah. I mean, props to them, you know, then they're, they're a big help of the cannabis community too. So 2019, um, that happens um, and we get, you know, the bill, it comes out and then a lot of good stuff came out of it, you know, and then, you know, coming come the prior year, um, actually micro businesses came from there too, as well. I don't want to forget that because that was a huge thing. You know, we, we needed to add something we needed something different because New Mexico isn't California, isn't Cal Colorado, isn't New York isn't Washington. We're something on our own. So we needed the micro business aspect too. Um, so 2019, that, that's actually when we passed the medical changes, right? Bill? Uh, in 2019, uh, we did pass the medical changes. And I also wanted to say there in the, uh, about the uh, uh, governor's task force is uh, one thing that I pushed with that, just like you had consumption I had uh, home grows and testified over and over and over to the fact that we are at any given year, the poorest state in the union and not every uh, person in the state can afford to go into a dispensary and buy the medicine they need. So they should be allowed to grow in their yard or uh, something like that. I think Josh and I had always been pushing uh, uh, it was called, we were calling it collectives at the time, but it came out to be micro businesses. Yeah. And I also wanted to say too, because uh, uh, Drug Policy Alliance is based out of New York City. And um, so we were in very close contact. There were so few offices, uh, uh, drug policy offices in the country. And so we had a lot of uh, sharing, caring, loving and hugging with the New York office. And so we were able to sort of take pieces of, I mean, I know we tried like Oregon uh, legalization. We tried a little bit of that. We tried to add a little bit of Colorado's legalization and uh, nothing seemed to quite work, but we were also in very hostile times. So once we had a cannabis friendly governor is when we were able to finally push forward. And um, so that's all I wanted to say about the governor's task force. 
and, you know, it was, it was a really good task force to be on yes. too. It's really enlightening. I learned a lot. And some of the stuff that information I shared today, I actually learned from that task force. So, you know, there was a, a very sobering experience to meet so many people from the different parts of the um, program. But yeah, in 2019, the cannabis laws changed. We were able to share. Everyone was happy. You're able to keep your whole harvests. And, you know, we're kind of with the thing that we are today, but something I'll share real quick and a mistake that I made. Um, I suggested to the state that they should go to a mature plant count because they're only allowing, you know, the, the producers to have a total plant count of whatever. And I told them, I was like, the only really thing that you care about is the flowering plants and the, the end product. Why are you worried about the veg? And so at first when they did it, they put a mature plant as a 12 inch plant. And so I didn't clarify with them what a mature plant was. And so they went with what they figured. So if you're talking to your representatives, make sure that you clarify with them what you really need. Um, because you can end up with that. I ended up screwing the entire industry over here in New Mexico for about a year. Um, until they, I think they changed it the following year when I was like, whoa, dude, I didn't mean that. <laughs> so uh, there's a little tip for you guys on the advocacy side. So 2019, a bunch of stuff happens. 2020 rolls around and we all know the year of COVID. Everything is shut down. Um, and, and pretty much today, you know, we're, we're going to be in virtual um, sessions, I think, this year for this year's session because okay. we're coming up here in a couple of days. Um, so in 2020, you know, we had the medical cannabis bill was in, the changes were there. We're like, yes, now everybody, everybody can focus on legalization because we know that's coming. So 2020 comes, but we get a couple of funky bills. Um, these bills actually had state ran stores in them and nothing within 25 mile radius of those. And it unfortunately came from the red team, from the red side, from the Republicans. And um, that bill failed terribly because I even voiced um, negative responses against it. I hated that bill. Um, and I don't know how Josh felt, but you know, I wasn't really a fan of it. And I wasn't really wanting to go against it. And, and Val, you could probably explain a little bit more about it too. Well, uh, it's just whenever that sort of thing begins to happen, uh, and the folks that had been fighting you all through the years decide all of a sudden that they're going to take on cannabis for themselves, then it just like throws our bill. It's like a curveball. It's like if you have X amount of votes for your bill, then that's going to divide up some votes. You know, they're going to get a few here and a few there. And they were really uh, not well thought. We, we had been working on our bill for so long and at tweaking it constantly. At, and whenever we had the failures, I never considered them failures because it's a chance to look back and tweak the information that you're taking in and find a, a better way of wording something to make it uh, easier. You may be saying the same thing, but maybe they can hear it a, a little differently. Uh, if you change up the wording. So every uh, loss was an experience to gain from too. And I like to tell people, you know, if you're gonna fail, fail forward, you know, <laughs> keep failing forward, that's all you can do. And that's, that's 2013 to, you know, even present day, you know, we're still failing forward, you know, even if we did get, you know, the bill passed. So 2020 happens, that bill fails terribly, is almost like an F you to everybody, you know, because of the way that it was structured. And, you know, everyone is, a few people were upset about it. So, and, you know, it was a hard loss, you know, like 2020 was, was a hard loss. I remember feeling it myself, um, but 2021 comes around, you know, we have a fresh bushy tails. We're happy. We're like, all right, we think it's going to be this year. It's a 60 day session. Um, you know, there's five bills that were introduced from both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, they, they finally went down to one bill that finally went through. However, 
the bill actually didn't pass the first time around because we ran out of time. It was actually filibustered. Um, I, I remember watching the session, the whole session, and it was filibustered. And um, the buzzer ran out and uh, they had it on schedule and it just didn't get, you know, read for the, you know, on the floor and everything. So um, Valerie knows a little bit more about that too and how she felt, you know, as well, because I was pretty devastated after that happened. Are we talking 2021 now? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, actually, um, we did decide to sort of pull back a little bit because the amount of time that was going to be left was going to be filibustered. And uh, we knew that we didn't have a real way forward. So uh, we were looking already at that point, uh, moving towards a special session. <laughs> Yeah, and that's actually what ended up happening. Uh, Michelle and Grisham came in and said, no, this is our year. We're doing a special session and went on our docket. And it was pretty much a cannabis special session. You know, they, they banged it out. They, they got the justice reform portion on it and two separate bills like you know, Cervantes wanted. Um, Senator Cervantes, if you guys don't know who he is, look him up. Um, he's one of the representatives in the state and he can be um, known as being a little tough, but uh, to please. And uh, they, they got through it, they passed it. Um, the bill went through, it was signed by the governor by, you know, I think April, and then in June of the 2021, the law went through, however, we go into this year, year of 2022, um, and we have adult sales coming online in 78 days. So um, as at the time of this video, um, yeah, 78 days till um, sales start, and um, I'm excited about you guys, but that's pretty much the, all of New Mexico history from pretty much 1915-ish to uh, 2022. And, you know, there's more history being made every day. Yes. I, I would like to say something, though. We've been hearing the history from, from, from Val, and Val's been here the entire time pushing it through. She went through multiple mul multiple administrators with DPA er and everything else. If you haven't heard of an incredible story where, where she started and, and, and what she's doing now, I mean, it's fantastic. So I want everybody to take that. It, it, it's a battle. She, she went straight war. It was battle, 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 battle. You know, it, there was nothing easy about it, as you can hear. Even when you thought it was going to be easy, it was a straight battle. Uh, and, uh, you know, you need to really think about that, that we made legalization this far. And, and it, it's because of women like Val, you know, and, and especially Val. I'll be straight. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that we're here. So, you know, definitely always pay, pay respect and, and, and understand, you know, our OGs that put us here and be very grateful that we have them to even know this because it's huge. We're, you know what I mean? We're, we're coming into the green wave in New Mexico. And, uh, you know, I know we had a really rough medical program and everything, but my view is, is let's New Mexico, you know, we were first in the medical. Let's be the first in quality in the entire nation. Let's work together as a community and crank out some fire out of New Mexico. You know, green chili would be the second thing they talk about because the cannabis is that good. Just yeah. my two cents at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, in the fall, they're not just smelling the roasted green chili, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, that, that's all I have. Valerie, do you have anything before we, uh, before we head out? Actually, uh, I just, uh, I wanted to say one other thing about an incredibly forward thinking bill that we had, which was called Ban the Box. And that was one that's now been replicated all over the country, which was to take the felony uh, box that had to be checked for felons coming out of prison so that they did not have to check that box. Now, uh, that didn't mean that an employer couldn't speak to you about uh, what your past would be, but at least you would, 78% is what we uh, uh, polled as went straight to the trash can if the felony box was checked. So at least it gave an opportunity for 
somebody to get in and present themselves and not just be tossed into the trash can. So yes. that was another bill that came from drug policy too, and a lot of hard work. I got to testify on that one quite a bit. <laughs> awesome. And just Val's just been here the whole time, just championing for everyone. That's great, Val. And, you know, just a straight gangster, straight OG of this whole program. And I really appreciate you joining us today on this um, not just historical episode of the Mexican Canicast, but a historical moment for New Mexico, because now we can get all this information collectively in one place. And so it's amazing. And let's hope to make um, history even more. Indeed. I Indeed. Agree. Grow New Mexico. Yes, ma'am. And all right, guys. Well, that's everything we got today. And that's the show. Josh, you want to get us out of here? All right, everybody. Thank you for watching. If you enjoyed the show, please share it. This is one of the greatest ones we'll probably have just because of history. And we have a living legend with us. So Josh from New Mexico Canicast, everything New Mexico, everything cannabis, right to y'all. Mad love to the community. And let's make New Mexico grow that fire, everybody.